Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. <clears throat> and our text this evening is Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 to 13 of God's holy word. It's been several weeks back when we started into the book of Ruth, and we had learned some of the things concerning uh, Ruth's uh, mother-in-law, Naomi, their particular family. We know that Naomi's husband, a man named Elimelech, had taken his wife and his sons, went into the land of Moab. There was a famine in the land of Israel. And they had stayed there for a number of years. His sons had married Moabite women. After a while, Elimelech died. And after another period of time, both of his sons has, have died as well. And now Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law. They're in the land of Moab. We talked about uh, a few different scenarios as to why Maybe they went to Mo, the way they went to Moab. Uh, maybe since this is placed in the times of the judges, uh, we know the cycle in the time of the judges. We know that Israel is serving God, then they'll serve other gods. Then God will allow another nation to come and to conquer them, or He'll send uh, plagues, or He'll send uh, whatever famine that was part of them. Uh, that was part of his disciplining them as well whenever they were unfaithful to his covenant. Maybe that's what's going on in the land of Israel as to why there is a famine. It does show that God is displeased with them because in the times in which they are faithful, God has promised to bless them. So perhaps Elimelech took his family, went to the land of Moab. Maybe it was out of defiance. Maybe it was just one of the things that he had decided to do in order to care for his family. We don't know. We don't know why it is that God took his life. We're not told. We're not told why it is that God took the lives of his two sons. But regardless, these things have happened. Naomi is in a, a very despairing place, as you will see as we work our way through this passage. One of the things that were emphasized the last time we were together is indeed the sovereignty of God. And you see that throughout here. And actually, one of the uh, primary themes you could say of the book of Ruth is not necessarily Ruth and Boaz getting together as much as it is of establishing the house of David. Because this book does not end with, they lived happily ever after. This book ends with a genealogy to David. So this is very Davidic in its nature. It gives us the account of how God is preserving his people, of how God is preserving the line of the Messiah down to David, all of that. But within that whole scenario, even God, even though God is working out his providence and God is working all things according to his will, preserving and, and having his people to continue, all of that, yet you see a real scenario here in which a, a woman is bereft of her family, except her two daughters-in-law. She is in a place of despair, she is in a place of great bitterness. And yet you see, even in, in how she is responding to the things that are happening to her, you still see God's grace towards her. 
And that is a very encouraging truth that we find that even when we don't understand things and, and we're angry at God and we recognize that God is perhaps against us or we think to ourselves that God is against us as to why something has happened, maybe it makes us bitter in our heart. And yet at the very same time, God is still providing, God's grace is still with us, and God is still bringing us along. Even though perhaps we act like brats at times. Often, I say at times, we do that often. And yet, and yet God is so gracious to us even when we're so undeserving. In our text tonight, verses 6 through 13, we continue to see that Naomi is, she is, regardless if this is true or not, as far as the reality of the situation, according to her, she believes that God is against her. But you notice something here. Even though she believes this, she still wrestles with her God. She doesn't turn her back. She's angry. She's bitter. And yet she keeps relying on the one whom she believes is against her. And, you know, we were talking Sunday about how there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And we looked at tribulation and, and famine and peril and all of these things that the Apostle Paul had said. And we talked about how there is nothing that will make Christ ever turn his back on you. And there is nothing that will ever make you turn your back on him. And this is one of those examples that you find of some very difficult circumstances. And yet, this, this woman uh, does not abandon God. She recognizes God's grace. She recognizes God's sovereignty. She recognizes God's providence. Even, even in her time of suffering. And even in that time, though she doesn't understand, maybe she doesn't consider it, God is still blessing her and showing her love and showing her such grace. And if anything, this will be a great reminder to us to just stop for a moment when we start to grow bitter and just to consider the things that we would consider to be small things, perhaps, maybe insignificant things, maybe ordinary things, of how God is truly blessing us even in those moments. So if you would and you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Ruth chapter 1, beginning of verse 6, reading to verse 13 of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. 
If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a gracious God. Thank you that you bless even, even when we are not aware of it. You provide all things. And we pray that we would reflect upon these truths, that even in times of despairing, in times of wondering why you are hiding your face from us, we recognize that you are still providing for us, regardless of what we think. You are still showing us grace, regardless of what we think. Your love has not departed from us. So, Father, let this be a great encouragement to our hearts, recognizing and remembering your gracious nature towards your people. We love you. We thank you for all things in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's children said, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so we read, <clears throat> they're in the land of Moab, and yet the writer once again brings it to our attention that they are in the land of Moab. Now, and you wonder, we're only at verse 6 here, and it's already been made known that they are in the land of Moab. Why repeat it? And one writer had said, <clears throat> talking about repetition, this is not something to just gloss over, but it is something to consider because this is not accidental in Hebrew literature. It is used to highlight the key event or theme in a passage. Now, Naomi is going through some despairing time. She is hurting. She is in pain. She's lost her two sons. She's lost her husband. And yet, there is some good news that comes to her ears. So let's walk through the passage first, and then we'll come back and talk about a few different, few different things there. <clears throat> So there's some good news. And even hearing the good news, even in itself, is a grace of God. In time of despair, in time of suffering, you hear something good. And Naomi has not only heard something just good in general, but she's heard something very good concerning the covenant people of God, which she is a part of. She has heard in the land of Moab that the Lord has visited his people. This news breaks into Naomi's dark world. I mean, consider that. Just consider the situation in which she finds herself. Her husband's gone. Her sons are gone. Now she's left with two daughters-in-law. What are we going to... You can imagine the things that go through her mind. What are we going to do? How are we going to provide? How are we going to continue? How am I going to take care of them? What is it that we can do? You the things that we need often is to hear something good when all that is flooding our minds is things that are bad and difficult and hurtful and painful. And you have this news that breaks into Naomi's dark world. And this is a great picture of God's great divine grace towards this woman, that she hears of this. And she hears of it in the land of Moab. 
This isn't just something that is being known within the land of Israel, the land of promise, where the covenant people are. This is something that she hears in the land of Moab. God has visited his people. God has given them food. He's visited them, and and this is a a way of saying that there has been a a divine grace that has been given. There is a divine favor that is now being given. God visiting his people. The reason why we're not told, we don't know if this is one of those instances in which you have the people of Israel that have repented as you see that cycle in the book of Judges. Maybe they've repented and now the Lord is bringing healing and now the Lord is blessing. We don't know. Some of, this, some of these things are uh, you, you have to glean from and, and try to form an opinion on. But you see that... She has arisen up. She's going from the land of Moab because she heard in the land of Moab that the Lord has visited his people. You see that? His people. Again, you think of the divine grace that's being given to her. You're part of the covenant people of God. You're in a foreign land, and yet the God who rules over all has made it known to you in a foreign land. I'm visiting my people. I'm showing grace to my people. You're part of it. This is great divine favor that God is showing here. And she's going to make her way to Bethlehem, which is very interesting, knowing that God has given food to his people. You think of the name Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. One writer had said this, the reader of Hebrew will recognize the play on the name Bethlehem. And he says, the house of bread is being restocked. God is visiting his people. His divine favor is with them. And again, that word visited, conveying that that idea of a powerful and, and dramatic visitation that would change the situation of God's people. From being in famine, and now he shows them favor, bringing them food. Maybe they repented. We don't know. One writer says this, When God visited his people, it was a wonderful reminder that he had not forgotten his promises. How wonderful it is when God does for his people. He shows his faithfulness to to them. It shows his love and his care for them. Maybe this is an instance in which they repented. But in any event, in the land of Kamash, the God of Moab, Yahweh has made known a message. And now she's heading into the land of promise, getting ready to depart. Now, if this isn't one of those scenarios in which Israel has repented and they're still in unrepentance, they're, maybe they're still under judgment or, or whatever, then this makes it even all the more gracious that God is doing what he's doing. Because in the time in which they have forsaken him, perhaps that they are still unfaithful to him, maybe still serving their false gods, and God is being gracious to them. You think of, you think of that gracious nature of God, that he's giving grace instead of punishment. You, know, you, think of, you think of the book of Hosea, and you think of what the writer says concerning the unfaithful Israel. He says in Hosea, 
She will pursue her lovers. She will seek them, but will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me than, than now. For she does not know that it was I who gave her grain, the new wine and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they, which they used for Baal. God is still gracious even in times of unfaithfulness. And you know, I think that's one of the most convicting things to consider that in time in which you're being unfaithful, in the time that you're being rebellious, in times you're being stubborn, and yet God doesn't bring down the hammer on you, if you will. He doesn't bring chastisement or punishment, but instead He blesses you. And when He blesses you, I mean, you think of what Paul says in Romans 2, that the kindness of God is what leads you to repentance. You think of of how gracious that God is in the time that He blesses you when you know that you're in the wrong. You know that you're being unfaithful. You know that you're being stubborn. God shows grace, providing. And He has shown great grace to the people of Israel, those that are in rebellion. He's providing for them, though... Maybe at this time they do attribute their food and their shelter and their successes or their, their giftedness and whatever they have. Maybe they do attribute it to a false god. But for Naomi, she's not in that camp. Naomi has heard that Yahweh has visited his people. And so Naomi's response is that she's determined to go to the land of her God. So she arose, she is returning from the land of Moab, going out from the place that she was staying, and she's traveling with her two daughters-in-law to head home. Now you think of this conversation. So they're, they're on their way, her, her and her two daughters-in-law, and then perhaps at whatever distance that they went, Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law to go. Each of you return to the house of your mother. Maybe she recognizes the difficulty that they're going to have in the land of Israel being foreigners, especially being Moabites. Naomi knows what that's like. She was in the land of Moab being an Israelite. What kind of difficulty did she have with the people that were there? Maybe she's thinking of that. Maybe that's something she's being considerate of when it comes to her two daughters-in-law. She tells them to go return each of you to, to her mother's house. It may seem kind of callous. You've been, you've been with me for 10 years, but now it's time for you to go. Maybe it seems kind of callous, maybe a little heartless. But at the same time, maybe this is part of Naomi's st still caring for them, still trying to deal kindly with them. Maybe you're going to have a hard time being in the land of Israel, being a foreigner. Maybe that's what she's thinking. She uses that expression to go to the house of your mother. One theologian says that in each instance of this expression, which is in Song of Solomon, which is in Genesis, is found a context involving love and marriage. Accordingly, by sending each of her daughters-in-law home to her mother's house, Naomi is releasing them to remarry. So in this situation, how are they going to fend for themselves? How are they going to provide? We don't know. But my daughters-in-law, go, return to the house of your mother. And in saying that, she's saying, go home, remarry, 
Have another family. Be taken care of. Have that security. Have a life of love with another. But you think of what she says. She says, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now, we're going we're gonna to see she's bitter. She's angry. You know, she, she will even tell the, the people when she comes into the land of, of Bethlehem, when she comes in, into the, the city, that they're all wondering, is this Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. That's what she's going to say to them. So she's bitter and she's angry. And yet at the very same time, though she's bitter and she's angry, perhaps at the Lord for what lot that he has given to her, yet she recognizes God blesses. And that's the, that's the interesting part, isn't it? That in the time in which she is wrestling with herself and she's wrestling with all this emotion and all this pain and all this hurt, and yet she tells her daughters-in-law, go home, you can remarry, you can have a life, you can be provided for, and let God deal wonderfully with you. Let Him be gracious to you. You know, one of the most difficult things, I think, in, in a couple of different scenarios there, but one of the most difficult things is to tell somebody of, of God's great grace and how God is blessing them or to look and see how God is blessing another when you're going through the trial. How difficult that is. Why is it that God is blessing them? Why isn't God blessing me? I recognize that God can bless. And so, like for Naomi, she's telling her daughters-in-law, may God, may the Lord, may Yahweh deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Let him deal as wonderfully to you as you have with me and my sons, my family. May the Lord bless you. And yet at this very moment, she's not feeling blessed. She's angry. But she continues to say, may the Lord grant you or may the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband, of her new husband, potential husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept. She recognizes that God does bless. That God does deal kindly. But God isn't, in her idea, isn't dealing kindly with her then. But here's some things to consider. Just a few things as we're moving through here. <clears throat> From the time that Naomi has lost her husband and lost her sons, and she's been with her daughters-in-law, yes, she has had loss, but she's had two people that have continued to be with her that love her greatly and care for her greatly. And Naomi has not went without Anything that she needed. Food. She's not with that, went without food. We don't read of, of her enduring some type of, of a starvation since her sons died and since her husband has died. No. This may be an ordinary thing. Maybe nothing necessarily significant. But can we look and say that even in the time of her pain that God is blessing her? She's being blessed with two people that love her dearly. No doubt that are enduring the pain with her, weeping with her, 
loving her, trying to encourage her, that don't want to go home because they want to be with her. They, they don't want to go home even to their, their own family. They want to be with her. And she's not went without food. These are small things, things that we consider to be insignificant. But these are blessings from God. I was listening to Dale Ralph Davis, and Dale Ralph Davis was saying, you know, when you, when you think about your regular things in life or whatever, you can't help but sometimes think of them through, through the eyes of your theology. And he started telling this story about how he would you know, have his, his, um, his garbage cans. He would, of course, have his garbage in there. He would take the garbage cans out to the, the curb. And all the time on Tuesday and Thursday on trash days, the truck would come in, inevitably run over the trash cans. And so what he ended up doing was he started taking the trash out and he would sit it on there and he would take the cans back. And then one day he began to think, as aggravating as this was, that he was thankful that he had trash. Because if you have trash, that means you're being blessed because you're being provided for. And it's God who is doing it. God is providing. In, in your recent trials or in trials that you've endured in your life have you had trash have you continued to have trash that's because even in those moments even when you're angry and you're looking up to heaven with bitterness and anger God is still blessing you even in the times in which you're enduring the pain think of the people that God has placed in your life to come alongside you. But we don't think of that at the time. We don't think of the people that are trying to come alongside and trying to love and trying to encourage. We're only, we're, we're short-sighted. We only think of, this is the thing I'm going through now. This is the problem that I have. And I don't think of any other blessing that God has given me at this moment. I'm only thinking of the loss. I'm only thinking of the pain. Maybe that's where she's at. <clears throat> that's where Naomi's at. And yet she knows that God does bless and that God can bless. And so she is saying, may Yahweh grant that you may find rest. This is speaking of, may her daughters-in-law find, find that permanence, find that settlement, find that security. May they be free from anxiety, uncertainty, and pain is the idea. Desiring what is best for them while she herself is enduring the pain. That's hard. Have you found it hard to talk about the grace of God and the blessing of God and the love of God and all of those things in the time in which you think God has abandoned you? That's hard. That's why we started out with Psalm 13, one of my favorite psalms. Because this is David in Psalm 13. How long are you going to hide your face from me? Why? Because David felt abandoned. And yet, even though he felt abandoned, just as it is with Ruth, or excuse me, with Naomi, at the end of that psalm, what does David say? I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give you thanks. You deal bountifully with me. In the moment, maybe I don't feel it right now. I don't believe maybe that's true as of right now. Maybe I feel that you're against me, but I know you deal bountifully with me. You have in the past and you will again. Naomi knows this truth as well. That would be very true in her situation as well. 
Maybe, maybe a prayer that she would pray. How long are you going to hide your face from me? How long, O oh Lord? And yet, she's, you, can, you can see uh, the love and the care because she's not allowing her bitterness to withhold that reality of God's blessing to her daughters-in-law for she cares for them and she loves them. May they find rest at permanence, a life of blessing, not of mourning. So we read, from their point of view, we'll return with you to your people. So you see these things that Naomi is getting ready to say. Again, just emphasizing some more of her own bitterness, her loss, the sense of loss that she has. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am, I am too old to have a husband. If I had said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Maybe she wants that life, uh, that life of security for them. And maybe she believes that it isn't going to happen if they go with her to Israel. Again, being foreigners in a foreign land, maybe that's something she's thinking of. Aware of the difficulty in finding husbands for two Moabite women in the land of Israel. Maybe she didn't want that responsibility. Maybe thinking of the women's future welfare. Maybe she believed they wouldn't find it. But she believed that God was against her. Her words are implying, as she says, For it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And it's really conveying that sense of that self-pity. As one writer says, bordering on despair. The women have indeed suffered. Though the younger women have hope because they are younger and they can go remarry. They can have children. But this isn't true for Naomi. Naomi sees only that sense of hopelessness for herself. Now, this is a very interesting thing, what she says. In, in the New American Standard here, it reads, Know, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you. Now, this maybe your translation say, for it's more bitter for me. It's really interesting, as, as one commentator was writing out, the, the actual wording here is, For bitter to me, much from you is the way that it reads. It's very interesting how that is, is brought about. But it's meaning specifically a, perhaps one or two different ideas, saying that I am much too bitter for you is the idea. No, don't go with me. I am much too bitter for you, for the hand of the Lord is against me. Or she says maybe, maybe it means perhaps my bitterness is greater than yours, for the hand of the Lord is against me. She is bitter. She perhaps is blaming the Lord. 
And this is an interesting thing as well, because bitterness has so clouded her mind that she doesn't consider even her own sin in this. She doesn't consider the wrong in which she is feeling and which she is dealing with. Instead of repenting for her own self and maybe even for her people's sin, she accuses, really is accusing God of an, an injustice towards her. The hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. I'm much too bitter for you to be with me. Now here's some things to look at. This is Naomi's pain that's being brought out, her frustration, her anger, her suffering. And yet she recognizes some very key things here. She recognizes God's sovereignty. Because what she is going through, she knows has come from the hand of the Lord. This wasn't an enemy. This wasn't one of Satan's forces that have, that have run amok and just took out her family. She recognizes that this is coming from the hand of the Lord. If, as one writer had said, if Naomi, or if Paul was writing in the time of Naomi, and Paul had says in Ephesians 1, 11, that God works all things after the counsel of his will, Naomi would say, absolutely. Because she recognizes the sovereign hand of God, that these things are happening as a result of the hand of the Lord. She recognizes not only his sovereignty of what she is going through, his sovereignty over all, as he is even the God over Moab, because he, he has no limits. He is the true and the living God. He has made known to her as a grace to her in the land of Moab of what he is doing, drawing her back to her home. She recognizes his grace. That has said love, that great loyal love that God has for his people as she is blessing her daughters-in-law. May he deal kindly with you with that has said love. She knows that he's a gracious God and that he is gracious towards others. She knows that he has the ability to bless. As at the moment, she knows that he is blessing his people right now. But she has not considered a few things. One that, yes, God takes. As Job himself had said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's very familiar to us. Even in the time in which God takes, he's also giving. But in the midst of pain, we don't consider, as Naomi has not considered, what it is that he is giving. She doesn't consider that. She doesn't consider all that God is providing her with. Even in the time of her anger and resentment towards him. What God is giving. What God is providing. The people in her life. She doesn't recognize that God is indeed blessing her. God hasn't abandoned her. But her pain is overwhelming that she's not considering these things. And this is the same scenario that you and I find ourselves in. Whatever the situation may be, when you experience a loss, when you experience a loss of a loved one, when you experience a loss of a friend, and that not necessarily meaning that they perhaps pass away, but maybe there's some kind of a great conflict and, and they're gone. 
Maybe it's something in your, in your life that you held on to as some kind of a security blanket and now it's gone. But do you, do you see that in this scenario, God is still blessing and providing? And this is true of you. God is still blessing you. God is still providing for you. Do you have food on the table? Do you have people that love you in your life? Do you have people that want to encourage you? Do you have people that want to check in on you just to see how you're doing and know that you're in pain and want to come alongside you? Do you have that in your life? That's a grace of God. That's God providing. Do you have trash at home? Do you have clutter at home? That's because God is providing. We don't consider the little things of give us this day our daily bread. Because we think that maybe when it comes to God blessing, it has to be something extraordinary for us to, to take note that God is blessing, that God is doing something because it's something extraordinary. It's undeniable of what God is doing here. And yet we look for those times so much and we keep our eyes peeled and we keep hoping and we keep praying for these other things while neglecting the fact of what God is doing in the moment every day. Yes, it, it's, it's hard when you, when you experience loss, when you experience pain. Of course it is. But the thing you must do is not allow bitterness to well up within your heart as where you forget. You forget of what God is doing. You forget that, yes, I'm experiencing loss and I'm experiencing pain, but God is the God who gives and God is giving to me now. You know, you think of when you, when you lose someone, lose someone dearly, lose someone you love, friend, family, and what pain that you go through. And yet think of the people that have come, come by or that show up to the funeral or that send messages or that send a card or anything just to let you know I'm here if you need me. But what are we thinking on the other end? Often we're thinking, I don't want to talk to anybody right now. I'm angry and I'm mad. I don't want anybody to come to me and to tell me your loved one is in a better place. I don't want to hear it. That may be true, but I don't want to hear it. You know, that's the very things that you, that, you know, for me, like losing my dad. But your dad's with the Lord. Yes, I know that. Your dad's in a better place. Yes, I know that. But he's not here. You know these things to be true, but you don't want to hear it. Because the fact is, my loved one is not here. And this is where I want them. So then we blot out, we ignore all the other graces that people are trying to extend to us. All the encouragement and the love because we can't get past our bitterness. 
That happens with any one of us. Maybe your trial is different. Maybe your trial is one that is causing you great pain. And even in that scenario, we like to remind each other that, you know, God is using this for your good. These are things that we need to teach. We preach these things, one, so that when we as individuals are going through it, that we ourselves can be reminded of these things. Preach them back to ourselves because it's very difficult to hear from somebody else. God is working all things after the counsel of his will and God is working all things for your good right now. And it's like, you don't know what I'm enduring right now. Don't tell me that God is working all things for my good right now. Why? Because bitterness has, a, has welled up in our hearts. And we're not considering that even what the people are saying is very, very true. It is true. But we're in a place right now where we're refusing to hear that because the hand of the Lord has gone against us and the Lord is dealing bitterly with me right now. Those are hard places to be in. But the great benefit that we do have the great benefit that we do have is even in spite of that, we still have people that want to come alongside us. You know, sometimes one of the best things that you can do for people, and this is maybe just a little side note, one of the best things that you could ever do for people that have endured loss of loved one or loss in trial is simply to be there. You don't have to say a thing. But just to be there. To sit with them. To weep, weep with them. And if they need, if they ask questions, then you offer. But there is a period of time after you experience that loss, we don't want to hear those things. But then, as the heart begins to heal, those truths really come to the forefront of our minds and then begin to give us peace and hope. We can do better ourselves, for sure, in those times. Because in these moments that we are together right now, as we are together, as we are hearing these truths, we have a great benefit of knowing these things. Because we have a responsibility to preach them back to ourselves in our time of difficulty. And it's easier sometimes to preach to yourself than to hear somebody else do it. God is dealing graciously with you, even when you don't know it, dear friends. God has been so wonderful to you in providing for you, even though you may not see it. So when the time comes and we know that we will endure the fiery ordeal for the testing of our faith, it's, we can't act as if some strange thing happened to us. We know those things of what Paul says. So in those moments, th this is our preparation time. This is our preparation time to be reminded of that. So that when the moment comes, these are the things that flood back to our minds. I have, I have times in which, you know, difficult 
circumstances and you have you know you know yourself you know you're right at that line that I can either I can either indulge in this and I can grow bitter or I can preach back to myself and ask God to help me to look at it from his point of view as much as I can to see that he is dealing graciously with me even in this time of loss and so you're at that line a lot of the time and it's these preparation times that help us to remember no God isn't dealing bitterly with me. God is still being gracious to me. And since God is being gracious to me, I'm still going to give him thanks. I'm still going to look and say thank you for blessing me, even in my time of pain. You do much better to preach back to yourself than have somebody else do it. Maybe at this time, we don't know what all Naomi knew, what she didn't know. Maybe for many, we have the, the great benefit of having these truths to keep, us, to keep us focused. But you know, there are many that don't have these truths. There are many who just fall apart. Because they don't recognize the sovereignty of God. They don't recognize the graciousness of God. They don't recognize the provision of God. The things that we are privileged to know. A lot of people don't know them. I say a lot of people. I don't know what the number is. But the thing is, is that people that you know that have fallen into terrible times who are claiming to be a believer and they fall apart. What is missing? What's missing? And what is missing is having a true understanding of, of the God whom we serve. To know that he doesn't abandon his people. He doesn't turn his back on his people. Even in the times of chastisement, that's showing faithfulness to his people and showing love to his people. God has been good to you and he will be good to you even in, in the time in which you think he's not. Let's not, let's not allow our hearts to grow into this kind of a bitterness. It's easier said than done. But by God's grace, by his grace, let us be praying that in our time of trial and of tribulation and of pain and of suffering, that God keeps us close. He doesn't let us stumble. And that he keeps feeding back to our minds what we know to be true about him in order to help us through our times of pain. That's a prayer that we all need to be praying. Even if things are going good right now, we know that pain comes one way or the other. Let us be praying now for the time in which we will go through such times. God is good. God is good to his people. And he will never abandon you. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you that those words are indeed true. You are a gracious God. You are a God who is always with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. That's your promise. We continually have this Holy Spirit of God with us. He never leaves. And he gives us exactly what we need in the moments that we need it. 
Thank you. Thank you for his continued presence. Thank you for the grace that you have towards us even when we're, we're growing in bitterness, allowing that to fester. Thank you that you still show us grace. Thank you that you still extend your love and lavish on us the riches of your grace and love towards us. Thank you. Father, I don't know what each one of us are going through right now. I don't know if we could say that our times are good or we're going through it a, a difficult circumstance. I don't know, but I know you do. Take these times that we have together, I pray, Father, and use these times to prepare us. Prepare us for the trial. Prepare us for the fiery ordeal. That when the time comes, that we don't fall into utter despair. But that even in our times of mourning, in our times of weeping, in our times of, of hurt, that we still recognize you are a gracious and loving and merciful and faithful God. And you will deal bountifully with us. Bring these truths to our minds, Father, in the moments in which we need them. Bring these passages of Scripture back to our minds in the moments in which we need them. That by your Spirit and by your grace working within us, that we continue to move forward and honor you in our suffering, honor you in our hurt. Thank you so much for all that you do for us every day, things that we take for granted. You provide all things. We owe you everything. Everything that we are, everything we ever hope to be is because of you. Let our lips never cease to give you praise for all that you are. Watch over us tonight, Father, and bring us back safely at the next Lord's Day that we may honor you once again. Father, we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said, Amen. Thank you for your attention. You are dismissed.